The tenets of degrowth only seem radical because radical has been the recent establishment of our physical and mental infrastructure. That's a quote that didn't make it into our zine. It was mm -hmm. from an essay that we were working on and it kind of, I guess you'd say I picked it up off the cutting room floor because I thought it would be a really good introduction to this week's episode. I thought we could discuss it because it's kind of a good lead into one of the main questions for today, mm -hmm. which is what would systems that promote mindfulness look like? Yeah, certainly. And the reason I think it would be a good introduction is because when we're talking about systems, mm. especially ones that are anti-mindfulness, yeah. and maybe even the concept of mindfulness itself, we're generally talking about things that I think have been introduced in like the last hundred years. Mm -hmm. So humans haven't lived with them for a very long time, so we don't know their long-term effects. Yeah, we're living in a system that's changing exponentially and our physiological selves are not catching up, let alone our systems to kind of exist within them in a... Our education, yeah. <laughs> our psychological help. I mean, I'm going to get into this uh, later, but I think it's rather a sad barometer that mental health, mental illness therapy have become so normalized and necessary. Mm -hmm. Not that I'm against mental health being taken seriously, but the fact that it's so such a widespread conversation mm -hmm. indicates that something's up that's making people feel bad in a way that maybe they don't usually feel bad in other years mm. and other other generations. Yes. So when I open with the tenets of degrowth, just to remind people, the two that we're mainly talking about are to strive for a self-determined life in dignity for all. This includes deceleration, time welfare, and conviviality, as well as an economy and a society that sustains the natural basis of life. As I said last week, all good things. Yes. And I feel like if you asked people on the street, no matter what their political affiliation, general background or views, mm -hmm. they would be like, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, no one's going to say, oh, so you want well-being for everyone? <laughs> well, some people might say that. Some I people might say that. that. But for the most part, I think they're popular ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't seem to be moving even in that direction. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would say they seem radical compared to some of the systems that we have now. Yeah, we're so used to everything whirling around us and, oh, well, yeah, obviously the education system's flawed. Well, obviously the health care system's flawed and we feel powerless to do anything, which is one of the biggest issues. But once we feel empowered, we can kind of say, oh, we need to slow down. We need to focus on getting these really just basic human needs met. Yeah. And then maybe we can worry about cutting the cost of a plastic bottle from 10 cents to 9 cents. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you came here with a point to prove today. I guess. Yes. <laughs> um, or an axe to grind, I guess. Mm. I wanted to start by defining mindfulness because otherwise the conversation is just floating around and we, yeah. we don't know what we're talking about. So Google says that mindfulness is a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment while calmly acknowledging and accepting one's feelings, mm -hmm. thoughts, and bodily sensations, often used as a therapeutic technique. Do you have anything to say about this definition? Agree with it? Disagree with it? Anything to add? Whenever we think of mindfulness, I think we just think of the first part mm. of living in the moment, taking in all of these surroundings. But that second part about acknowledging your emotions and acknowledging your experiences for what they are, is often overlooked or like maybe not integrated into the mindfulness movement that we have all witnessed online in like health circles and well-being circles. So I think they're both very important. Something 
within me feels like mindfulness is much more than that definition. Well, I think anything when you reduce it to words <laughs> tends to make it seem a bit more trivial than it is. Yeah. It's even said like it's often used as a... Therapeutic technique. Therapeutic technique. And I think it's more than that. It certainly is an excellent therapeutic technique. However, I feel like it's a lifestyle. It's like a way of being. Yeah, well, I wanted to talk about that because you mentioned, I'm going to call it wellness culture mm -hmm. in general. And I have a few gripes with that. Even just the way we label it, wellness culture. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the fact that there exists a wellness culture. Yes. Tells you that regular culture mm -hmm. is at least somewhat anti-wellness. Yeah. <laughs> which is rough. When I consider mindfulness, I mostly agree with that definition. I would break it down into awareness of the moment, living in the present, mm -hmm. and also something like sensory focus, sensory awareness, something like that. Often yeah. I find it's easy to be walking around and not feeling your feet on the ground, mm -hmm. or walking outside and it being really windy, but you don't feel the wind because you're preoccupied with other things. Yeah, it's a meditation, not just... In your head, it's a meditation, whole body, body. meditation. Yeah. yeah. And something that strikes me about mindfulness is that I feel like it shouldn't be such an effort. It shouldn't be so hard. That's a really good way to lead into the question that we asked last week, which was what are some systems that help promote mindfulness? Because if you said from now on, I'm going to be mindful, it almost feels like everything's working against you. Mm-hmm. To live in the moment is almost soul-crushing and <laughs> painful physically and mentally, obviously. For example, I was walking down the street today and there was just this horrendous car. You know when they rev their motors or like whatever? Oh, I know, yes. Yeah. It's like if I was, I imagine had I been just peacefully, like mindfully walking down the street. Oh, there's some kids playing. Oh, I can smell the bagel store. And then that ripped by me. It would have like my heart would have left my body. What happens to me? It does happen to me very frequently. But that's what I mean by like, that's not a system that promotes mindfulness. True, true. I'll list them things that don't promote mindfulness first. As you said, the well-being culture. It's basically the well-being market. Ooh. If you think about it, it's like, how to be mindful? Get the meditation app. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, uh, that feels like it's mildly not... It's a bit of an oxymoron. Yeah, those yes. two, those two <laughs> words don't really go together so well. Yeah, and I know that that mindfulness app, I can't remember what it's called, is very useful to many people and it's introduced a lot of people to meditation. However, it just feels like a lot of it is sold to us. And if we're constantly being told you're not enough, you're not mentally sound enough, you're not strong enough, you're not pretty enough or what have you, you're going to be wronging everything you do and everything you think. You're going to say, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Oh, I shouldn't have even thought that or felt that. That's not a mindful thing to do. When you're just kind of operating in like being really influenced by all of the marketing, that's how you'll feel. Mm -hmm. But true mindfulness is not writing or wronging your feelings. It's, okay, right now I feel angry. Right now I feel shame. Or right now I feel exhausted. And just acknowledging them, like that's a part of mindfulness, not just pretending like they don't exist, but acknowledging them and not righting or wronging them. And I feel like it's really hard to do that when we're just constantly told a lot of things we do are wrong. Okay. Yes. Well, you mentioned marketing there and advertising and standards. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. And it makes me think that 
standards haven't really gone away in advertising. We like to think that we're in kind of like a, a very diverse, all accepting marketing landscape. Mm -hmm. But it's just changed, really. I would say it's not so much L'Oreal ads about having nice hair. Mm -hmm. It might not even be a L'Oreal or Tresemme ad at all. I don't know why I'm going for the shampoo brands. <laughs> I feel like those are like a magazine cover, let's say. Yes. I don't think the standards so much come from magazine covers anymore because people our age at least will say, ah, it's too corporate, I don't care mm -hmm. what Vogue says. But they say, oh, but I do care what this independent YouTuber or Instagram influencer says. Mm -hmm. And she's really mindful and she meditates a lot and she does yoga. She's never angry or frustrated. Yeah, it's, it's, the, same, it's the same thing, right? But it seems mm -hmm. more... People, for some reason, think it's purer or more wholesome because it's only one person making money off of it and not an organization. Yeah. Influencer culture in general, I would say, is, is rather anti-mindful. Yeah, as with all technology and parts of modernity, there are some who are good. But overall, it's like if you're constantly exposed to these other people's ways of life, it's going to be hard to be in the moment because it's like, well, I'm not in their shoes. Like, I'm not in their beautiful house. And you can always escape to their beautiful house pretty easily by just following a link. That's a good point. Yeah. When I sought to answer this question, I kind of split it into two different areas of life. Mm -hmm. So for systems, I thought systems of work and systems of leisure. Okay. And they both have their problems in the modern world, to put it, to put it lightly. So I started off with work because that's been in the news a lot. I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of people are quitting their jobs. Mm -hmm. What do you think to that? Let's just start with that. <laughs> I think the great resignation. I mean, people are fed up and it's like we've been I'm going to get into this later when we talk about the next question. But I mean, every corner that's been cut has been cut and we're just living in a circle. It's the best way to put it. That? I just came up with that. Wow. But that's what it feels like. And that's, then it's that's just a, like that's a viral tweet right there. That's a, <laughs> that's a viral Instagram post. Oh, gosh. But it's just like. We were having horrible benefits in our workplaces. People were having to work these gross hours. I'm going to say, ah, people still are. Yeah, yeah. But then people are just fed up with it and they realized, hey, I can have my small business and it's going to be way more work, like time-wise, but I'm going to feel good doing it. It's like going to be a convivial experience of like, yeah, I'm going to have to work 120 hours a week to get my business off the ground, but I get to bake cookies for 100 hours a week. Like, what? Could be better than that. I think there's some people who are quitting on the backs of their Etsy business, as you're just yeah. talking about. But I, I think, know not everyone. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people who are just doing it to show solidarity and to try and try and coerce employers to mm -hmm. raise standards, right? Yeah. So when I looked at work and mindfulness, I tried to find some numbers. A 2015 poll showed that only 31% of USA employees feel engaged in their job. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stats for like happiness or they like their jobs, but I felt engaged was a really good word. The poll defined it as two things, being invested in what they're doing and essentially not hating it. Yeah. So that leads me to think that roughly 69% of employees, it's probably more now, mm -hmm. from 2015 is my guess. From my experience in, in, let's say, retail, which is a really common entry-level job, and entry-level jobs are the ones which, as you can guess, are the least engaged. Mm -hmm. It's management positions and higher which feel the most engaged. From my experience, it's not so much that you hate your job. It's a, it's a kind of chronic boredom. That's mm -hmm. what you feel when you're there. Yeah. It's not so much anger, sadness, resentment. Sometimes it's those things. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's all three. But the underlying and ever-present feeling is being bored. 
Yeah. And that kind of connects with the with the talk about systems that promote mindfulness during our leisure time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's not completely separate from work. The two are pretty related. Yes. In that you can't really blame most people's obsession or compulsion, I would say, to kind of cram our free time with as much entertainment as possible, which mm-hmm. I would say TikTok is like the perfect example of, for instance. Yes. As you know, I just got a management degree. So I was basically taught how to be a manager. And it's hilarious to me that these stats were presented to us Mm -hmm. as like almost good things. They were like 30% of employees are engaged. So we want to get those numbers up so we can retain employees. But also it's okay if there's turnover because there's always people looking for work kind of thing. (laughs) And that brings me to like my first system that I thought kind of promotes mindfulness and it's offering people engaging work of course yeah like ask something of your employees yeah I feel like people think or like as I said we were kind of taught as like managers it's like well you just want people to like have it easy like they can just sweep the floor they can just bring people in make it as easy as possible people don't want that no they want to be challenged you want to be like hey what do you think of this display and actually listen to them mm-hmm. you want to say do you think there's anything we do to make this better and Ask something of people. Well, companies are so big now and so systematized that it's kind of like the bigger a company is, the less each person has to do, especially Mm -hmm. the less each person on the front line has to do. So for instance, there's nothing to do with making the product in most retail Mm -hmm. jobs. Yeah. There's nothing to do with knowing what the company is Mm -hmm. or or even knowing the customers because the stores are so big. Yeah, you essentially feel like a hamster on a wheel. Oh, like a cog in a machine. Yeah, that reminds me of two things. One is the thought I've been having lately of, I liked when I had jobs where I would be given a task of like, hey, can you fold 100 pamphlets? And I would be instantly thinking, how can I do this more efficiently so I can go home earlier so I can get more of this other project going in that free time? But now it's like, if you go to your job and you're say, they say, fold 100 pamphlets like you don't get to go home early if you do a better job exactly so it's like you don't have to do a good job of your job you can just be there for the hours Mm -hmm. basically do the basic things yeah and you're not going to be rewarded either way if you like don't get it done they're like okay just pick it up tomorrow i think something that does is not i suppose this is a part of mindfulness but it's rather separate it ruins our relationship with work Mm -hmm. because it makes us not care about doing a good job yeah like i was reading recently that story about um, a good carpenter always puts a good piece of wood on the back of the cabinet, even mm-hmm. though they're the only one who gets to see it. Yes. Because they take pride in their work. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, for instance, over the last couple of years, I would be talking about my rather um, rather languid performance at work mm-hmm. at my job. And my parents would say, oh, they'd kind of tut and be like, well, you should be trying this. And I was like, well, you see, the thing is, I actually get paid the same, whether yes. I work hard or whether I don't work hard and I don't get any hours off. So why would I do more than the minimum. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's what a lot of employees feel. Yeah, and people want to, like, I imagine had you had an incentive to do more than the minimum, you certainly would have done it because it would be more engaging. Like, you'd feel a little bit more worthwhile. Well, yeah, well, I had some systems or some suggestions with regards to work that I think would make people work harder or enjoy it more. Okay. So was, I'll just go through them. One is jobs should require movement. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be jobs where you stand or sit still mm-hmm. for roughly seven or eight hours or yes. nine hours or 10. That's yeah. bad for us. Mm-hmm. It's bad for your legs. 
It's bad for your hips. I would say it's bad for your brain. Yes. I've never done office work, but I think office work is a good example of this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this means we need to invent moving computers. Mm -hmm. I doubt it does. Probably not. But things like that, maybe little gym classes in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe shorter work days. Yeah, I had that. Shorter work days. <laughs> so less work, more money. I think that's a, yep. that's a fun thing. But people would work harder if you're like, okay, the average work week is now 20 to 30 hours. I mean, it's proven. It's like you would just get your work done in those hours. We're not just talking theoretically. It's proven yeah. that the, the four-day work week, for instance, people are more efficient, right? Yes. One that I think is important is that work hours stay within work hours. Mm -hmm. Nothing builds resentment like being texted by your boss. And, yeah. and being reprimanded, perhaps, for not responding. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard sell to people. Yeah. And even we just graduated university. Do you know how many times you'd get an email and it'd be like, oh, here's a change to the assignment or, oh, class is canceled or class is moved. It's like if you didn't respond or get that email, you were kind of Yeah, you're required, you're required to always be online. Yes. Another solution is more transparency within companies. Mm -hmm. For instance... It shouldn't be taboo to discuss wages with your coworkers. Yeah. That should be a more open thing. Mm -hmm. Because then that obviously, that makes employers be held more accountable. Mm -hmm, certainly. I haven't worked in any places that have like huge disparities in pay. However, I can imagine. Well, you don't, that you know of. That's true. <laughs> that if everyone knew what everyone was getting, your bosses would be required to explain yeah. or pay everyone fairly. Mm-hmm. Something else with jobs I thought of is infrastructure slash government spending that people actually support because we have to remember that it's not just corporations that employ people. Mm -hmm. The government does for things like building highways. Yes. Building roundabouts. My town where I used to live in just had a huge multi-million dollar project, which was a roundabout, which mm -hmm. unanimously everyone in the town was against. Yes. Like everybody was against it saying, we shouldn't be spending money on this. This is a waste. Mm -hmm. This won't help at all. In fact, it arguably makes things more dangerous. Yes. But it was built and it took a long time to build and a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming the construction people weren't super enthused about the project. Yes. So they didn't work hard. They probably just went to work, went home. Exactly. Were re not remotely engaged in the project at all. Yeah. But the biggest suggestion by far and the thing which I think is the biggest problem in mindfulness at work it's just that companies are too big and supply chains are too big. The example that I had was when I worked at a garden center for all the various issues that I had with that job, one thing I loved was that I would see the product, the plants, from seed to tree. Mm -hmm. And I would plant them, water them, fertilize, weed them. And so you have a connection with it. Mm -hmm. Like I would, you're effectively helping make it. Yeah. The vast majority of jobs entry-level jobs people work, they have no connection to the product. I've worked as a cashier before, mm -hmm. and I, I just don't care about people getting their M&Ms. Hard to care. It's very hard to care because I've never made an M&M. One of the systems that I considered when considering mindfulness was the education system. I have a lot of thoughts with the education system, but here are a few of mine that I think could help promote mm -hmm. mindfulness. And I tried to get ones that are like already existing around the world. So schools that have these things. So my first one, it kind of also applies to a workplace is long lunch breaks. Yes, I had that later on as well. Yeah. I mean, the way we eat is just kind of nuts. 
we eat in order to continue being alive. Yes. But yet we have no ceremony surrounding it. We have no connection with our food. You just eat to survive, but there's so much more to it. And not just for the pleasure, but also you literally don't digest it as well. Therefore, the food becomes less efficient. You're wasting money. It's not good if you're just throwing it back because you have a 15-minute lunch break. Yeah. Eating is super important to do. Like preparing your food gets your body like and your mind prepared to eat it. But when it's just you pull it out of your bag and eat it, your body doesn't have time to prepare. Oh, I'm about to eat some food. Let me create some saliva, some stomach acid. It's just like, whoa, what's going on? And then you just kind of have it in your body. It also, in my case, and I'm sure in other people's, we've talked about this before, but just destroys your relation, your association with food and free time. Yeah. Because now I don't feel like I'm resting unless I'm eating. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like I'm eating unless I'm completely resting away from everybody else because that's how I feel. That's how I've been conditioned during 18 or 20 years of like lunch breaks at school and then at work. Mm-hmm. That's the highlight of your day every single day, mm-hmm. but in, an, in a rather unhealthy way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's the only time you had a chance to get away from other people. Yeah. As an introvert, that's very important. Well, and just away from the work. Yeah, certainly. But eating in community is really important as well. Like in France, a lot of schools have chefs who prepare the food. They have like an hour to a two-hour lunch break. And so there's courses. They take their time. They mingle while they're eating. And... The kids are healthier. Mental well, health is better. Yeah, we had a meal hall in our yeah in our residence on campus. Mm-hmm. That was like my favorite room on the planet. Mm-hmm. It was just there's so many good memories there. Yeah, it's just such a community feeling when you get to eat slowly, and I think we just miss out on that. And there's just it isn't a part of our life in school or in work. Another thing I had about schools is about stimulating work. But I mean, in schools, we're rarely, it's not much asked of us. Like everyone has that one subject where you just show up and you're like, this is too easy. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same subject for everyone. But some people, even that could be gym or that could be math. And it's just you go in, you're like, well, this isn't engaging. I think the key to that is choice. So perhaps, oh, you don't feel like doing math today? You can do art. You don't feel like doing art today? You can do some science. And I don't you have like that to. idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... Still having requirements, like kids need to do things they don't want to do. Yeah, I think misery is good to an extent. It's the boredom that I don't like. Yeah, and choice. Oh, we're going to do a science project. Everyone's going to do it on the the panther. And it's like, I hate panthers. Can I do it on frogs? The kids are going to engage with it way more, get super excited about that frog that they got to choose versus if it was mandated. I think choice in general. And what I was getting at with this is there's a lot of different education systems around the world where kids get to choose an apprenticeship in high school. In Germany, kids at age 10, in conjunction obviously with their parents, get to choose kind of along the spectrum of type of school they get to go to. Do they want to do one that's a bit more academic, one that's a bit more vocational? It changes obviously every couple of years, like you kind of shift around these different types of schools, but just everything's so standardized where we live that it's just no one really feels like they have a choice. Therefore, they're going to be more apathetic and just kind of working through it instead of being mindful in the moment and engaged. Well, yeah, you feel like you're on a conveyor belt. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, um, that's a lot of this great resignation is especially 
it rising with young people, recent graduates, say people our age, who are looking ahead at decades of unfulfilling employment and saying, so this is really it, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which is a depressing thought, no doubt. Yes. Something else I thought about work, just a little aside, is the resentment that it can often foster from employee to employer, but also from the employee to the customers and also from the employee to even their co-workers. Mm -hmm. And an example of, I would say, a more mindful system is that worker cooperatives and unionization has been found to correlate with higher happiness mm. because employment isn't viewed as like a zero-sum competition between you and the other person sweeping. Yeah. You're in it together. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like perhaps in North America and maybe in other places, you're in competition with everybody. Yeah, that's a really good point. And you see this in restaurants with tips. I know people who work there and it's not a good culture. Mm -hmm. Like tipping, we could do a whole episode about tipping and how it's, Probably it's, good. it's rather exploitative, but it, um, it doesn't bring out the best in people. It brings mm -hmm. out the worst in people for the most part. One of my key things about promoting mindfulness was just helping other people, which is certainly a tenant of a cooperative. But it's like when you're helping someone else, no matter how grumpy you feel, it's going to make you feel kind of good and you're going to want to do your best for the most part. Yeah. I don't know if that's a system. In my ideal system, you have a lot more opportunity to help one another. I read this article in preparation for this episode about how to, how to implement mindfulness in the workplace. And this one quote stuck out to me and just like made me physically ill when I read it. It was like, third, in your well-being point system... Give points for mindful activities, like presentations on mindfulness, like deep breaths. And I was like... That doesn't even make sense. Is that like a kindergarten class? No, in like workplaces, apparently there's, there's well-being point systems and you maybe like rack up enough to get a day off or something. That sounds dystopian. Yeah, and it reminds me of like often when people are talking about how do we make mindfulness in the workplace? They're like, well, we have a gym on the Google campus. We have... <laughs> Um, these long lunch breaks and so on. But it's just like, they're still at work. Like people would just want to be home and have choice. Yeah, but here's the thing. People are always going to have to sweep the stores. Yes. What it is, is that let's say, okay, you know in The Princess and the Frog? Yes. When Tiana is dreaming to open up her restaurant mm -hmm. and she has her one, she'll have her one location at the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Let's say she hires someone to sweep. Mm -hmm. They'll know Tiana. Yes. Personally. Yes. And so she'll be nice to them. Mm -hmm. And so the sweeping won't be awful and it won't make them suicidal. <laughs> Literally, the, yes. The workplace culture inside the restaurant mm -hmm. is authentic because mm -hmm. it's just her restaurant. Yes. It's not like McDonald's. You don't know yeah. who McDonald's is. Mm -hmm. It's like that, I think. Yeah. When you said about standardization, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, there's no rules. She won't have point systems yes. in her restaurant. No, if he was having a bad day and needed a day off, she'd be like... Yeah, but, but not even that. I, th I think everyone listening has been in jobs where the company is good. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't mean the company, like the corporation, but the company you keep, the, the mm -hmm. other employers, the other employees, you like them mm -hmm. and they're nice to you and you feel like you're in it together. It, do it doesn't really matter what you're doing. It's, mm -hmm. it's relatively eight hours well spent. Yes. Or at least, as I said, that don't make you suicidal. When it's a contemptuous or alienating workplace mm -hmm. that's where the issues come in for the most part mm -hmm. i think i mean there's also the thing about 
you don't want to be standing still. Like I said, there should be movement. You said that people should have more agency. That's for sure the case. People like feeling that the work they're doing is meaningful and like they have some influence, some creative influence on what's happening. But it's like at least 50% the culture that's there, the people mm -hmm. around you, I think. Yeah, alienation is a good word for it of just like, if you feel like you're not a part of the system, you're not going to feel good and want to be mindful. Something else I was thinking really practically, it kind of goes back to me talking about me walking down the street and there being a lot of noise, but like clean air and just like beautiful built environments are going to encourage mindfulness. If you're walking down this really gross, dark, dim, dirty area, you're going to just not really want to be mindful and like go. Yeah, you're going to put state. your headphones in. Exactly. We want to build environments where people don't feel the need to put their headphones in. Yeah, and even if it was just like a dim alley, but if it was lively and people were smiling at each other, you'd be engaged. If the air didn't smell like pollution, your deep breaths would be a little bit deeper. Because <laughs> right now, when as Aaron and I have mastered, sometimes when you're walking outside, you just hold your breath for like two minutes because it's not a nice <laughs> area. <laughs> and then you come out on the other side and you're like, and that's not the deep breaths we're talking about. We're talking about like, you should just be breathing normally. The way we breathe even, I feel like is so impacted by the pollution in the air. Can I interrupt with the organism of the week? Certainly. Okay, so this week we're talking about a plant okay. and we're talking about lavender. Specifically, yes. specifically Hidcoat English lavender, which is my favorite type because I used mm -hmm. to grow it and I used to smell it a lot. <laughs> Latin name, Lavendula angustifolia. I'll ask you to describe a picture. I'm sure you've never seen this plant before. I love lavender so much. These are the <laughs> ones that are like really chunky. Yes, yes, chunky boys. Because there's like the, the French lavender and stuff are really thin, but these ones are chunky little Q-tips of purple on green stems. Okay, that was very concise. Yes. I chose this plant, this organism, because it's the mindfulness plant. Lavender is wonderful. Its smell is proven to aid your sleep and reduce anxiety slash stress. You can eat it mm -hmm. in cakes and cookies. I wrote that down because I didn't know it. And it has a historical association with cleanliness. So ancient Egyptians used to use it in mummification. And it was also sold during the plague to mask the smell of death. And I thought oh. that was rather um, <laughs> that was a rather morbid but perhaps fitting allegory to its current place in the center of wellness culture yes <laughs> there's something's rotten in the state of denmark is what i'm trying to say mm -hmm. also i didn't know it could be anything other than purple you can have white pink blue yeah i've been to a lavender farm it was one of my favorite experiences in my life mm. we just went we picked lavender and they had a little bit of those different colored ones and it is so versatile you can use it in everything another step i had is that renaissance artists used it in their paintings to preserve the color and also to tint. Neat. So yeah, very versatile. Anything else you wanted to mention about lavender? I didn't know it was the organism of the week. I'm very excited. Lavender is one of my favorite plants. It's very accessible. It's not like a super expensive plant, which I like. True. Talking about systems that promote mindfulness in leisure, the first one that came to mind for me is a computer room mm -hmm. or building. Yes. Our ideal city has a building which is just like the really, really high tech, like an Apple store, but everyone can use it kind of mm -hmm. like a technology library. Yes. And this big, cool arcade building is so technologically advanced and has such a magnetism to it that people maybe don't use their phones so much. 
Yes. So I think internet phones, smartphones are too easy an escape. Mm -hmm. So one example I had, which I think is maybe a little bit universal, is that compulsion that we get to look at your phone in awkward situations. Mm -hmm. Let's say you're in an elevator with someone. Yeah. You just kind of check the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe like beep, boop, boop, boop. Yeah. Do you do that? Oh, yes. But I've, I told you, I haven't told the audience because they don't hear me speak every day. I got a watch a couple years ago and it's equally as awkward and like weird and a compulsion, as you said, to check your watch. Yeah. But I, I got that as an alternative to picking up my phone and my pickups per day went down by like a hundred mm. because it is literally checking the time. But sometimes it's just like, oh, this is awkward. I want to avert my eyes. Yeah. So now I just check my watch instead. And sometimes I feel like I feel bad because I'm like waiting for my coffee and I like check my watch and I'm like, oh no, I swear I'm not like rushing you. Like, please take your time. But it's just like, that's an easy fix maybe. Definitely. I think there's a lot of personal things you can do like substitutions mm-hmm. like that. This episode's not really about, I would say individual actions, but the systems that, yeah. that we're in. So obviously I think fixing work would go a long way towards fixing leisure. And mm-hmm. the, the food example, the lunch break that you said is a great example of that. But yeah, the Tech Plaza idea. Tech, technology Plaza. Yes. Or the old school computer room. Yeah, because you get home from work. I want to go watch a movie. I want to go on Facebook. You have to make an intentional choice to go to the computer room instead of just picking up your phone while you're on the toilet. <laughs> and it's that little intentional choice that I think is important that we've lost. We've lost almost all intentionality. Even sometimes we make a lot of purchases without an intention. Yeah. We just see something's on sale or going to go shopping for fun or, well, I'm just on Amazon while I'm doing something else. So it's, and then you just kind of make the purchase and don't realize what happened. Yeah. I think the Wally transition is just complete. Yes. Aside from the technology plaza, I think there should just be more places to be in general and especially places that don't require money. Mm-hmm. Because real life infrastructure engages the senses. Mm-hmm. And it also ensures, like my metaphor here is that it ensures you don't have other tabs open. So for instance, we went to a movie theater last night yes. to see Dune called The Guzo. I don't mind shouting out the name. It's called The Guzo. We love that theater. It's a, it's a funny name. And yeah, that was like, I think we said it was like traveling back to 2002. Yeah. But in a really, really good way. Mm-hmm. It had bowling. It had a big arcade, mm-hmm. bunch of kids running around. It really felt like 2002. Yeah. <laughs> like... Everything about it, it just was hype. Yeah. There were lights. There was there energy. Were, there was these weird kind of psychedelic almost pictures in the wall of ducks mm-hmm. and stuff. <laughs> and you just, you were at the movies. The, the bathroom. The bathroom is what I'm referring with to. The, with the sloped ceiling. Yes. Highly recommend though. But we would we were there. We were yeah. just fully there. If we had watched, let's say we'd watched Dune on HBO streaming, HBO Max at home, we would have had, so to speak, other tabs open. It would have been like, oh, pause this, I'm going to go to the bathroom, pause this, let's make some popcorn, Mm -hmm. or pause this, let's finish it another day, or pause this, let's watch something else. Someone told me today that they watched Dune, like they streamed it illegally, so there were ads throughout, Mm -hmm. and like, oh, my heart. Well, that's what television was. Yeah, and it didn't ruin their experience too much, but I feel like that's another part of it, of just like... When we don't go to a space with the intention of doing something, it's going to be all broken up and choppy. Yeah, but it's been frequently, I mean, now we've, we've discovered nice movie theaters, but it's been frequently, we've been 
lamenting the fact that there aren't many places to go. Mm-hmm. And even with the theater, you have to spend money. Yeah. There aren't many, like, there aren't any, like, free gyms or um, spas, like baths or, or the mall, public spaces. The death yeah. of the mall. Malls don't cost to, en- to enter, mm-hmm. but they're no longer hubs of community. It's all moved online. Yes. I think if that moved back into real life, a lot more mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And this infrastructure stretches to layouts of towns and cities as well, mm-hmm. like walkable neighborhoods. That helps a lot. Yeah, I mean, movement is like key to mindfulness. When you're sitting all day, your body just can't be mindful. Like yeah, like, there's that Bible quote: "Idle hands are the devil's playthings." Mm-hmm. Is that a natural Bible quote, or just I don't, I don't from know. a movie? It's Have you heard it? Probably a quote. It's probably just a movie quote. It, it basically know. means like being bored, having nothing to do, or being still. Yes. Doesn't lead to good things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's true. Yeah, I think so as well because. Yeah, if you have nothing to do, or, I mean, we have everything to do, but if you feel like you don't have a choice, like you have to stay in your house, or you have to go spend money, you're going to just do stuff that isn't good for you. Everything to do and nothing to do is, is very, manifests as very similar. It's mm-hmm. kind of funny. Another system change I thought was less internet from a young age. Mm. There's all those, like, tech execs, um, the higher-ups at technological companies who don't let their young children on the apps yeah. or on tablets. I think that says, like, everyone knows this. And Mm -hmm. another one is if there could be more regulation or laws against intrusive advertisements. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like everywhere you look, there's branding. Yeah. The whole world has a logo on it. Yeah. Which takes us out of everything. Like, I was just, I always think about how many images, logos, symbols, and brand names are in, let's say, our living room right now. Mm -hmm. They're all over the place. And every time you see something that says Nike, Nintendo, Toshiba, it's intruding with the whole of whatever that company means, you know, mm-hmm. when you see it. Yeah, basically what you're saying is, or how I'm hearing it is, it's not like we're not mindful, it's just like there's too much. So a system that would promote mindfulness is something simplified. Yes, yes. It's like kind of simplification and simple living is synonymous perhaps with a mindful lifestyle. Because if you were mindful in a room that's just kind of chaotic, that wouldn't be good for you. Mm-hmm. But if you were in a room that was a bit more relaxed, it'd be better. Can we wrap this round to degrowth? Yes. Maybe economically? Mm-hmm. Or like I was saying at the start, psychologically, artistically? Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of links to degrowth and I was like, this is going to be a, f- a long episode. <laughs> I mean, everything we're talking about is degrowth. We just haven't really said the word yet. Yeah, basically, I'll start with the work example. If we were working on smaller scales, if there weren't the huge corporations, you would know your employer, especially you'd have a bit more of a connection with what you were selling or what you were making, because I feel like there'd be a lot more jobs that were hands-on instead of everything being made far off from where we live. The education systems would be much different. They'd be a lot more localized, a lot more engaged with what the kids actually want. Getting back to the roundabout example... In a degrown society, they would have listened. They would have said, oh, you don't need a roundabout? We can put the money towards something else. Because things wouldn't be mandated from a city hundreds of miles away or tens of miles away. Yeah. Because governance is more local. Yes. Is that, maybe we can form a question out of that somehow. Mm -hmm. Well, we can just say like, what does degrown governance look like? Because we haven't discussed that so far. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Okay. And with the leisure examples Mm -hmm. and degrowth, I don't like thinking of leisure as solely a function of work, mm-hmm. but it is 
the more I think about it, the more it, people act in their free time because of the way we have to act in our, yeah. in our employment. So, I mean, indie growth, the work would be less. Well, less suicidal for sure. Yeah, so make you a like mental health would be much better in a degrowing society, so there'd be less need for escape and much more encouragement for mindfulness. Also, in a degrowing society, I was going to talk about this, but I forgot. There's usually a universal basic income when people talk about degrowth, and honestly, like if there was a universal basic income, we could be so much more mindful because we don't have to constantly have this on the back of our head can I afford food can I afford my rent do I have to cut back here do I have to save here do I have to like there would just be this little security which I feel like would free up some space to be mindful that's kind of a whole other discussion yeah we could definitely do maybe that could be another question for the next episode what are the benefits of a universal basic income what would be the pros and cons of UBI yeah do we want to cap off the episode with our second question of the day Mm-hmm. What is true cost? Sure thing. I think this is a, a rather simpler question to answer. Yeah, it's basically a definition and like an example. True cost, when I Googled it, was a movie in 2015, a little documentary. You had to Google this? See, okay. I always know things, right. but I have no confidence. Well, I always like <laughs> to know if definitions are outdated because I know, yeah. for instance, that with, with something like true cost, I mean, it sounds kind of like arrogant, but I know that I know the the up-to-date definition, but I don't know that Google does. And similar with mindfulness. Mm -hmm. That's how I feel, I suppose. So I Googled what true cost was and it was like, oh, it's a documentary. I was like, no, it's it's a word. I watched the documentary this morning. (laughs) I highly recommend it. It's about the fashion industry. But true cost is, hey, the cost of a banana is 89 cents. But the true cost would consider the pesticides impact on the environment and on people's health, the shipping cost of the pollution which is emitted up high in the stratosphere, the packaging, the waste for the bananas that don't get eaten. Yeah, the land use, the water use. Yeah. So it would internalize all of those externalities. Bananas might be a tough example, but especially when it comes to fast fashion, it's like we buy shirts for $3. Yeah, it's kind of like when people say, oh, if that shirt was made in the Americas, yes, or its price would be... $412 or something like that. But the reason it's so cheap is because labor is exported Mm -hmm. to where it's essentially slave labor. Materials are not sourced very responsibly. They're not created durably, so they just end up in a landfill. Yeah. And you have to buy another shirt. So that's what true cost is. It basically internalizes all of the hidden costs and the hidden benefits, if there are hidden benefits sometimes, but mainly the hidden issues sure yes some other some true costs i wanted to mention the environmental impact of a product is like central to true cost if you hear people talk about it it's usually in a sustainability context so that's emissions water use waste land use but there's also health which you mentioned about Mm -hmm. the the pesticide on the bananas unhealthier food is cheaper Mm -hmm. like a lot cheaper yeah and obesity is an all-time high which is not a coincidence and this stresses the healthcare system Mm -hmm. so that's an example of true cost yeah. For instance, with COVID, we've seen that be a big, a big factor. Yeah. Another one is knowledge slash self-sufficiency. Mm. So it might be better that things are cheaper and more convenient and you have to do less, but it comes at the cost of how well we're able to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
And my final one I want to mention was community. So for instance, cars might be better in some areas than transit mm -hmm. and buying global versus buying a local product might be cheaper, mm -hmm. but it comes at the cost of connection with those around us. Yeah, for sure. I liked that you mentioned the loss of autonomy when it comes to true cost, because we often just look at when we're pricing something, it's existence in the moment, but we don't think about the history of this thing becoming to be and the future of where it's going to go. People just care, well, we're going to sell this new iPhone 11. And it's like, you don't think, okay, this is going to mean people don't know how to do a bunch of different things. And it makes me want to discuss autonomy on the next episode, because autonomy is more than just a word. It's a it's a really important part of degrowth. So, Yeah, it's hard to phrase it in a way that doesn't seem judgmental, like, what should people be like? Mm -hmm. You know, what should people be able to do? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Perhaps we could say what has been lost with the commodification of everything. Okay. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that's better. True cost is also, we were talking about it last week a little bit, but it's about considering more than just the economic impact of an object. It's like, as you said, there's those three different things. That's called the triple bottom line for anyone who's like here to learn names. There's social, environmental, and economic impacts of everything. So it's like even when you're producing the product in the first place, you need to consider all those things. Where are you going to put the money? Normally they just invest it into stocks. So they invest it back into the company. But it's like you could invest it in your employees. You could invest it in helping your community. Like there's a lot of different ways we can use money that we just don't even consider using it as business owners. When researching true costs, there's also a lot of like crazy examples because it's hard to like, actually quantify it economically. Of course, yeah. So there's like, someone said like the main example that people use is the true cost of a hamburger is $200. And I feel like that's honestly a bit high. That might be a <laughs> bit of an exaggeration, but I found a good example of the average pair of jeans would be about 33 euros higher in Europe mm -hmm. if it internalized the true costs. And that included water use, biodiversity, health impacts from dyes getting into waterways and so on. So yeah. I think that was a good discussion about true costs and also about mindfulness. Mm -hmm. We have a question for next week. If you want to contact me or Alicia, you can do so on our emails, linked in the caption, or on TikTok at mm -hmm. Solacene, or you can buy our zine. Yeah. And that zine is all about degrowth. It serves either as an accompaniment to this semester of podcasts on the topic or as a standalone introduction comes with a neat little block-printed tear-out, which was a really fun skill to learn, and I think they look great. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening.